You're listening to audio from Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. For more information, go to cbcsavannah.com. We're going to pray uh, for just Puerto Rico this morning. I, I know you guys, if you've seen the news, it's just, it's devastating down there. It's hard to get aid down there. It's just, it's a bad situation. So we want to pray for them, um, just for, for God to show mercy and that they would get water and just simple things that we take for granted, like drinking water and food and air conditioning. And so uh, let me pray, and then we'll pray for our time in the Word. Father, I pray for those who are suffering right now. They may think, we just sung a great truth that you have not forsaken us, and that many may feel like, where is God in this? How many times we thought that? How many times we thought, how could a loving God let this happen? Or where is God in my pain and my suffering? And we know Father, that you are a God who, who is there. We know that you are a God who has experienced it as you sacrificed your own son so that we might know you and love you. And so you are there, even in the brokenness. And so I pray just for whatever needs to take place, for people to have needs met, for, for them to have water and food and shelter and, and medicine, and uh, that, that that would just, uh, just you'd make an easier path, whatever that looks like, Father. And there's so much need, it can be so overwhelming. Um, so pray for that. I pray for uh, those still in, in Houston and, and around the East Coast here that are still suffering and struggling and houses wrecked and not knowing what the future holds, Lord, that they would see that they have a God in heaven who loves them uh, and who desires to know them, and give them life abundantly. I pray as we come to this text, Lord, it's a challenging text again. I pray for grace and mercy. Help me to speak clearly. Help me to get out of the way uh, and may your spirit work. Father, I am a sinful man. Uh, I am a sinful man. And so I cannot stand up here on my own accord. I cannot get up here with a a few jokes and a few uh, stories and and have any impact. And so I pray that you would, despite me, uh, despite my failures, that your word would go forth in a way that builds your church. And that this would be a text that brings us to you and to each other well. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right, you guys can have a seat. And if you got a Bible, we are in Luke 17. If you don't have a Bible, there's probably one in front of you. Unless you're in the front row, then you just don't have one in front of you. Because there's nothing in front of you. So um, we've been studying through this book. If you're, if you're new to this church, what we kind of typically do is we work through a book of the Bible. There's 66 books in the Bible. And so we kind of start at the beginning of one and work its way through the end. And uh, we've been doing that for a long time. Uh, in the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, the third Gospel, uh, where Dr. Luke is writing to his buddy Theophilus and trying to just explain to him all the things that happened with Jesus. And so that's what we've been doing. Um, so a few weeks ago, there was this big fight. You probably heard about it. It was on the news. It was, on, you know, it was all this media and stuff. It was, it was this MMA fighter, McGregor, from somewhere across the pond, lots of tats, all right, he was fighting what some consider to be one of the best pound-for-pound fighters ever, uh, not Rocky Balboa. He would be number two. Um, it was Floyd Merriweather, and I didn't watch the fight. Some of you did. It's, it's interesting leading up to this, all this trash talking and all these, you know, they go and they're talking, they get them in each other's face and they're talking so mean and they're hating each other, right? And they're yelling at each other and all this stuff. And then so some of you paid like a hundred bucks. You're like, yeah, I'm going to watch that. Some of you streamed it illegally, including on staff. I won't mention his name, pastor of students. Um, whatever. 
Okay. But at the end, so you have this great fight, you know, and one of them knocks out the other one. And then it's, it's so weird. They go up, and what do they do? They hug. And then, and then you go to the press conference afterwards, and they're like, well, uh, you know, I just got so much respect, and he's such a great fighter. I'm like, well, two months ago, you were just like insulting his mom. What happened? And then I realized, oh, I, that's right. They each get $100 million. <laughs> of course, that makes all the sense. I think that's the way fighting should happen. You go beat each other up, and then you get paid. That's a great way to handle conflict. All right, I should do that for my kids. Use the eight-pound gloves today. Lightsabers only. But that's not how life works when you have fights, is it? Right? You don't just go out, punch each other, and then you get paid. Um, and so the question we're going to ask today is, how should it work? How should it work when there's conflict and there's fights? Because there will be. Right? Um, what does that look like for a Christian? And don't be all, some of y'all super spiritual people. Probably came from another church. Because if you've been here long enough, you're not super spiritual anymore. But, oh, I don't fight. I don't have conflict in my life. That's because everyone hates you. <laughs> and they just don't tell you. You're annoying. And so what we're trying to do is, uh, is deal with this. And how do we deal with this as, bib- as biblical Christians? How do we deal with conflict? Right? It's a hard one. Because typically the one, ones who we fight with the most are the ones we love the most or the ones we live with. And so it's important for us uh, to have a, a kind of a paradigm that Jesus is going to teach us in, in chapter 17 of how to deal with this, all right? And he's going to give us several principles, and then he's going to kind of give the heart behind it. Um, and not, none of them are easy, so I'm just going to tell you that straight up front, but that's just the way it is. Sometimes if Jesus speaks truth, it's not easy to hear, but it's necessary. So let's jump in because we got a lot to cover and not a lot of time. Chapter 17, verse 1. And he said to his disciples, okay, he's talking to the disciples now, not the Pharisees, to the disciples. So this is for those who are followers of Jesus, worshipers of Jesus. He says this, temptations to sin are sure to come. Okay, literally, the, I, the, I don't know why the ESV goes with this translation, but the literal translation is stumbling blocks. Some of your translations probably use that word. That's important. Things are going to be out there that are going to try to trip you up, to entice you. That is the way it is. In fact, the, the way he, again, the English translates it, are sure to come, it, it literally uh, is, it's impossible for it not to come. Right? It just doesn't make good English. He said, it's impossible for stumbling blocks not to come. This is Jesus now telling his disciples. So what you have to understand is there will be temptations. And it's not sin to be tempted, okay? Let's clear that up. Jesus was tempted in the wilderness by Satan. Right? Tempted in all ways, yet without sin. So the temptation itself is not sin. So we, we got to get through that. But, but the reality is you will, you will face stumbling blocks. And, and sometimes the number one stumbling blocks, you know what they are? Is you. Is me. In fact, Jesus, in another place, uses the same exact word when Peter says, you're not going to do that. And he says, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. Same, t- same word. Sometimes we are the problem. You sin against people. You get annoyed with people. You miscommunicate things to people. People miscommunicate things about you, whether it's intentional or unintentional. You have different perspectives. You got to deal with that selfish diva person. They talk too much. They annoy you. Your customers don't pay you, right? People jump to conclusions when they only have 
33% of the truth. This is, this is what happens, right? And all of these things lead inevitably, inevitably to conflict. So what do we do? Here's the first thing, right? First thing, just first reality is that we are to fight stumbling blocks. You got to fight them. And it's more than just removing all stimuli. You can, I mean, if you want to do that, fine. You go live in a closet, turn off the lights. Okay, now I won't sin. The problem is you still will sin because James says the problem is not out there. The problem is actually in your heart. So you can remove some stimuli, and that's actually good, and that's biblical. But the problem is in you. Your, your heart is like this idol-making factor. There's this scene in the movie, The Hunt for Red October, which is, I know, very old and very kind of man movie, but that's just who I am, right? Old and man. So, um, but there's a scene when, you know, they're fighting underwater and the torpedoes are all shooting around, you know, and the torpedo loses its, like, locked-on signal, whatever that is, for the one submarine, and it's just wandering. And you hear the sound. And everyone's hearing it. And I'm like, it's kind of, I don't know if they really can hear that in the water, but whatever. It's cool. And it's just floating around until finally it locks on one other thing and boom, blows it up. That, that's your heart. Your heart is constantly seeking for something else to lock on to. Right? It's an idol-making factory. And so the problem is not out there. The problem is in here. And so you, you cannot escape that. So you have to fight it. You do not have to give in to temptation, but you, you can resist it and you have to fight it. And the problem is sometimes we don't fight it. We just don't. And so the New Testament writers, especially Peter says, be on the alert, be sober of spirit. Your, your adversary prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, but resist him firm in your faith. We don't resist. We don't aware. We just kind of make excuses sometimes, don't we? Well, I'm, you know, no one's perfect. Yeah, you know, if it, it was really their fault and my dad didn't love me, it's no real big deal. You got to fight temptation. You got to resist the enemy. He wants to destroy you, your family, your kids, your reputation, your church. It's a reality, y'all. We cannot be passive in this. This is why in verse 3, Jesus says, pay attention to yourselves. You got to know yourself. What are your propensities? What are your, what are your bents? Because everyone's tempted in different ways. I mean, somebody, this guy over here, he's got a gambling issue. SEC football makes him stumble, right? This person over here, same-sex attraction. This person over here, anger. This person, greed, selfishness, pride, whatever it is. We all, but you got to know yourself, whatever that is. Know those things which kind of trigger, right? Those, that, that behavior, that emotion. So you're sitting at home all alone or everyone's asleep and you got the remote or the iPhone in your hand and there's no accountability. That is a trigger. You need to be aware of that because you can quickly find yourself in a place you should not be, right? Or, or you just had a fight with your parents or your spouse or your roommate and now you're just, you're susceptible to that issue that you, you had victory over, but you run back to it. Long day at work, stressed out, big project exams, just, oh, just a few pills, a few more drinks, just to take off the edge. It's that trigger, right? You're susceptible. Or, or some of you, and this is a big one, it's a group of people or individuals that when you go with them, bad things happen. Mailboxes fly, right? So, something like that. 
You end up in a bad place that you shouldn't be because that group of people always brings you with them. They are your trigger and you, you don't need to be with them. You got to know that. Or, or just bills or stress or all these things coming at the end of the month and, and this is doing this project. And so there's this, this temptation to just fall into some other functional savior. Whatever it is, you got to know yourself. You know, a huge trigger for many of us is as a victory. After a victory, you are hugely susceptible. Because you're thinking, man, wasn't that great? I finally had victory over this. And you take your eyes off, and immediately you fall. And so he says, watch yourself. Fight temptation. What are you fighting? What are you fleeing? Sometimes you got to run, too. Right? Especially when it's sexual sin, it's easier to flee than resist. you gotta be, you got to be Kenny Rogers. you got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them, know when to walk away, and know when to run. Sometimes you got to run. What are you fighting? What's the source of conflict among you? Is it not your passions, your desires, James says? You got to fight temptation. And if you do fall, we have grace and there's a savior. We repent, we turn. Christianity and repentance, they go hand in hand. There is a, I, I'm confessing my sin. If, I, if I've sinned against you, I, sin, I repent to God and I go to that person. I don't make excuses. I don't half confess. I don't half repent. I don't try to manage my sin put little rules on it to try to keep it down. But we need to fight, y'all. We need to fight. So the question, real, just application question for you this morning. What are you fighting? Where are you weak? And what are you doing about it? If you're just like, yeah, I'm weak in, in lust. But what are you doing about it? Are you praying about it? You got some community that you can come around and talk to? Your spouse, so I can't tell her that. But I can tell you, nothing brings humility and oneness like confession of sin, right? Of, of having others that are going to be there to say, how you doing in this? And, and you, you need to stop that, right? It's huge. What are you fighting? What, what scripture are you memorizing or are you at least reading to kind of renew your mind so that when this issue comes up, when that anger is welling up in your soul because you're on Duran and it's five o'clock and it's miserable, what, what verse are you memorizing about patience and thinking about to, to give you some ammunition? See, that's fighting. That's what resisting looks like. Spending time praying about it, right? We got to fight, y'all. In a church like ours where we're pushing you into community or trying to, we do community groups and we put a lot of value on those and we put people into relationships where we want you in their lives and we want you living together and doing life together. If that's going to happen, someone's going to get annoyed, frustrated, sinned against, hurt. And so Jesus's words of look at your heart, deal with your sin, hugely important. And so is the second one. The second one is this, you fight them and then you don't be them. You don't be the stumbling block, right? He says, temptations are sure to come. Woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him. I love this. This is Jesus and the Godfather in the same verse. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than he should cause one of these little ones to stumble, to sin. Literally, the Greek word actually is not sin, it's stumble. It's a wordplay from the earlier stumbling block, right? This is Luca Brasi sleeps with the fishes. This is we're going to the mattresses. This is take the cannoli, leave the gun. This is what this is. Because what he's saying is, is if you're going to be the cause of someone else to stumble, then we're going to tie this thing around your neck. This is, the, this is a millstone, the upper millstone. This is what we're talking about. 
tie it around his neck, and chuck him in the ocean. And, and, and he's not, it's, it's obviously metaphorical, but what he's showing you is how serious it is when you are causing someone else to stumble. And whether he says, you know, these little ones, some people say he's talking about the kids. Some people say he's talking about you know, new Christians or baby Christians. We don't know. I can't say without certainty either one. But the point is this, whether it's little kids or immature Christians or anybody, you're, you should never have the intention of causing someone to sin. To draw them in, right? How, how, how silly, how, how opposite is that of what a Christian's supposed to be, right? And, and how many ways do we do this? We don't even think about it, but we do it all the time. Whether it's the guy that's goading his buddies, come on, come on, let's go. You go with me. No, I can't go. I know where you're going. It's all right. I won't tell your wife. I won't tell your mom. I won't tell your kids. I won't tell the boss. Let's just go. There's that guy, Right? Or, or, or maybe it's through, this is probably the biggest one we see, it's through gossip, being critical, slandering people, right? And the goal of that is, is to bring them in, to entice them. And we, we love that stuff, don't we? I mean, we love, we, we love some good guys. Oh, I want to hear what's going on. Really? Oh, I'll pray for them, right? Or, or maybe it's you're causing someone, maybe you're, you're the social media king or queen. And so all you do is spend hours just kind of putting these pictures up and filtering them and, and all these things. So everyone sees how perfect your, your little life is, but it's really not. But you portray it like that. And so this person over here is always seeing how perfect your life is and their, their life is not. And so they go into this, this depression or they feel, oh, my life stinks because I can't compare with them. They're always, at the, they're always in Cancun and always somewhere. And they're so skinny and always make good meals for their kids. And look, everyone's happy and smiling. And it's a fraud because social media is a fraud, right? But, but you're, you're causing them to stumble that way. Or maybe you're the boss that's never pleased. It's never good enough. You're always harsh. Everyone walks around on eggshells around you. We have Christian bosses like that, right? As if that was Christian. No gentleness, no tact. And so everyone just fears and, and trembles in your presence, and you're causing them to stumble. Maybe, maybe it's the way we dress. And this is, you know, we always hammer the ladies. This is the men, too. Some of you guys, you know, yes, we know you lift weights. There's a size called medium and large. You can buy it. You don't have to buy small. You don't always have to be like, the road is over there. Right? This is male and female in these days. But you dress in a way that brings attention to yourself, that makes you look uh, that you're overly sexualized because you want to be seen. And you're causing someone to struggle that you may not even know. Well, they can turn away. If, yeah, yeah, they can. They can turn away. But you know what? If you, if you know someone may be sinning because of you, a Christian would say, I don't want that. That's, that's the point. Parents, can we cause our children to sin? Fathers, do not exasperate your children. High, too high expectations, never encouraging, never feel like they can win, get ahead. Or the other side of it, that's the overbearing. The, you know what the other side is? It's the, it's the parents that do nothing, that let their kids have whatever they want. You're five. 
You want a Mercedes? Yeah. Mercedes. We just, we just, we don't, we never say no to our children. We never teach our children. It's, it's actually just as dangerous as being the overbearing. Right? Just whatever. And so we got kids that walk around thinking they're the center of the world. It's causing them to stumble. Or here's, here's another side. And this is, this is huge, y'all. Having four children, two teenagers now that are, that are kind of getting out there. Some of you parents really need to be more engaged with your children on the social media thing. Right? You're, you're throwing a 15 year old to the, to the world. Yeah, go date the 18 year old guy. I'm sure he's a good dude. Really? Is there any good 18 year old dude, guys? <laughs> There's a, like three of y'all, I know. I, I mean, you're just, yeah, whatever. You're not engaged. You don't know what they're doing on this and that. And, and, and some of you just, you're like, well, I'm just assuming they're doing good things. It's, it's, it's setting them up to fail. I'm going to make some teenagers really mad right now. I love you. Pastor Bill loves you. <laughs> Parents, ask your children about their Finsta. If you don't know what a Finsta is, you are way behind. It's called fake Instagram. They have some funky name where they hide stuff, and they have one. Take their phone now before they delete it. You better get it now. <laughs> just, and I'm not saying that to get you in trouble, but I'm just you got to be more engaged because you're letting them. A 15-year-old can't handle that. They don't. They're 15, right? And you're, you're allowing them to stumble because you're just like disengaged. So, so you, you, there's all sorts of ways. And the point of this is this. Jesus is teaching that you are your brother's keeper. I know we don't like that, but you are your brother's keeper. It is your job to encourage. Our job is to help each other press on toward the goal for the upper Christ in Christ. That's our job. And if you are tearing that down, then you are fighting against the very thing that we're called to do. And so it's serious that we build each other. As long as it's t- the day is still called today, we're building each other. So you got to be aware of yourself. Isn't it interesting that when you're talking about conflict and, and being sinned against, Jesus starts with who? He starts with you. Isn't that interesting? Because we normally are like, well, let's go talk about what they did to me. Jesus says, no, 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 let's talk about you first. Let's look at your deal first, and then let's talk about how you're causing other people. But wait, wait when are we going to get to my wife? We'll get to her later. Let's talk to you first. Pay attention to yourself, right? Deal with how much of our, our conflict would just go away if we would just deal with our own junk, really? That's, the te- that's what Jesus starts, right? So we deal with our own sin. We repent of our own sin. And then we, we make sure that we're not causing others to stumble. And then he says, okay, now we can talk about your buddy. Okay, we pay attention to ourselves, Right, and then if your brother sins, you rebuke him. So if my if my he says if your brother sins against you, if you're the victim, then you rebuke him. Then you you don't talk about him. What do you do? You talk to him. Okay, this is a huge huge piece. This is a huge problem and a huge piece. He says you don't gossip, you don't slander, you confront. Now you can talk to God about it. You can. Say, God, open my heart, open his heart. You maybe, if you have to seek wise counsel to someone who, who kind of is, you know, been there before and, and has some wisdom that's not going to go spread words. So you can say, hey, I, I want to go to this situation and I don't want to make matters worse. I don't want to put fuel on the fire, fire, but, uh, how do I handle this? But ultimately you have to talk to the person and don't be a coward and send an email or a text or a tweet. 
If you can, get face-to-face. But if you can't, at least talk. Because you can text things and your intention can be completely twisted. All the time it happens. Right? Sit them down. Talk to them. Here's what I see. Here's what I did. Explain to me. Okay, maybe I'm wrong, but this is what I see, brother. And I love you. And for some of us, that is so hard. For me, that is so hard. It is ironic that I am a pastor. I hate speaking in front of people, and I hate conflict. All right, so here I am. But sometimes you got to do it. Sometimes you got to move in it. Right? And some of us are going to have to get over a fear man. And I'm not talking, some of you like this too much. Right? You're like, yes, amen. I want to go rebuke. I'm, rebuke is my middle name. Rebuke, rebuke, rebuke. You just need to be quiet. <laughs> I'm not talking about that. Because some of us get way excited about telling people what they should do. I'm going to go tell them and then tell them and tell them. Right? But, but we have, we are our brother's keeper. And some of us, and I've done this before, I'm guilty, and some of you, so you see someone that's train wrecking their life, they're dating that guy, they're spending their money like, they, like it's Monopoly money, whatever it is, and you say you love them and you won't say anything to them. And you don't love them. You, you, you don't, right? Some of us hear the gossip going on over here, and instead of saying, y'all, I think you guys really need to go talk to those people, you're like, tell me more. You don't end it. You don't nip it in the bud. And it's blowing up relationships and it's blowing, making division. And it's exactly what, it's exactly what Satan wants. He is the slanderer, y'all. That's his name. He is the liar from the beginning. He loves to, to, he's the king of false assumptions and, and half truth. Even when he tells Adam and Eve, you won't die the day you eat it. You show, you'll know good and evil. That was a true statement. It was 98% true. It's that 2% deceit that he is a master of. And some of us are buying it hook, line, and sinker. And we forget that the thief comes to destroy and to kill. But Jesus comes to give life and give it abundantly. And we're choosing kill and thief. Because we're, we're just playing this fire. The tongue is a fire. That's what James says. So, so you you got to go to the person. you got to talk to the person. If you need to bring someone along, you bring someone along. But if you really love someone, you will. God loves us, and so he confronts us, and he rebukes us in our sin. That's what he does, because he wants there to be closeness and intimacy. And we got to be willing to do that. We are our brother's keeper. This is what r- real community looks like. It's not coffee and donuts that may facilitate it, right? And here's what's the hardest part about this text, y'all. Who is the one that's called to be the initiator? It's the victim, isn't it? And and later he's going to say, if your brother sins against you seven times, the victim is the one who's to go and rebuke. The victim is the one who's to initiate. We don't like that. I don't like that. I want to wait them for they come to me. I'll deal with it. But when they come to me and they say they're sorry and I get my pound of flesh and I make sure they know how bad I feel, I want to make sure everyone knows. We just don't do this well. I don't do this well. A lot of us don't do this well. What we do well is when there's conflict, you know what we do? We quit. How many people leave churches because, oh, I got in a fight because I wanted to put the picture, the blue-eyed, long-flowing-haired Jesus picture in the hallway, and this person wanted to put it in, in, in the foyer, and so we fight, and Jesus didn't even have blue eyes. But we fight about silly things, and so well, we, we leave. We're good, at, we're good at ABC. We're not good with getting down. All right? 
we quit. Or uh, we're, we're so easily, and, I, and a lot of us, y'all, are so easily offended. I mean, do you, know, do you realize, just, just to remind you, that you're going to get offended in life, and it's really, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, it's going to happen. Being offended is not the worst thing in the world. Oh, you offended me. Would you want me to cut your leg off? Which one's worse? I mean, we act like being offended is the worst thing in the world. I don't agree with you. I'm offended. Well, good. Great. It's called Earth. Welcome. Nanu, nanu, or whatever, you know? I mean, we act like, like it's just the biggest thing in the world. Sometimes we're going to have to get in, in there and, 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 and hammer it out. If you're married, you know. But it's out of love. And, and I'm telling you, we got to teach our kids this, y'all. Got to teach them now because the generation coming up behind, they don't know how to have, have hurt feelings. They don't know how to address things. They don't, so if your kid's teacher, if there's some, if there's some issues with their, your kid's teacher, not, I'm not talking about the kindergarten teacher, but like in high school, do not go save your kids. Have them go talk to the teacher first, please. You got, an, you got an issue, go talk to your teacher. Go talk to your teacher. Now, if it's, it, you know, if it's been several meetings and stuff, then you need to come in and help them. Yeah, great. They got an issue with the coach. Let them go talk to the coach. It's teaching them to handle conflict in life. We are saving our children from all this trouble and causing more down the road, right? So, so, so just be, this, is, this is what we need to be doing. We are our brother's keeper, right? And some of us... In conflict, we're actually making things muddier and worse because we don't deal with it Jesus' way. We don't check our own heart. We don't make sure we're not being a stumbling block, and we don't go to the person. You got to go to the person, right? You got to go to the person. We are our brother's keeper. And then the last thing Jesus tells them is, tells us is you got to forgive him, right? Pay attention to yourself. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, do what? Forgive him. Even if he sins seven times a day and he comes seven times a day and says, I'm sorry, he repents, you got to forgive him. That's obnoxious. That's grace. That's what you have done and God has done for you. Right? And, so, and I know that some of you are going to say, okay, well, if they notice it says, if your brother sins and he repents, then I forgive him. If he doesn't repent, I don't have to forgive him, right? right? That's how legalists take it. Well, see, see, the text says, yeah, and the rest of the New Testament says, no, you forgive them anyway. So, yes, when he comes and repents, and even if he doesn't, you forgive them. That's the, that's the rest of the Bible. And I love, here's, here's where the Greek text I love here. And I'm not great at Greek, but I can study it a little bit. He says, um, uh, I, I say, you, he says, I, uh, and turns to you seven times saying, repent. He says, you must forgive him. All right, that's the way we translate it. But literally the text is, it's not actually an imperative. It's not actually a go do this. It's actually a future tense. It's, it's like your parents saying, oh, you will be in by nine o'clock. All right. that's, how, that's how the text reads. He says, you will forgive him. You will. I love that. You will do this, right? Because there's two options here. If you're the victim, there's two options. You can either forgive and leave it to the Lord, or you can get bitter. Which one are you going to do? But you don't know what they did. I don't. And I'm sure it was horrible. But I'm right. There is no doubt you are right. Right, but th- which one are you going to do? You're going to obe- you're going to obey Jesus, or you're going to let this person control you for the rest of your life, and now your identity is going to be your anger and your frustration with that person. Which one are you going to do? You going to forgive or not? 
See, here's where the rubber meets the road for Christians. Everyone loves the idea of forgiveness. C.S. Lewis said it best. He says, forgiveness is a lovely idea until you have something to be, that needs to, you need to forgive of. It's so great when it's this hodgepodge out there, right? Forgiveness, Christian, yay. And then when you are hurt, when you are wounded, when you are slandered, when you are misrepresented, that's when it meets the road. That's why it's hard, right? So I ask you today, who, who, would you, who do you need to maybe forgive without them even asking? Because they own you right now. You wake up in the middle of the night, you're hot. You're mad. I, 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 and probably if there's somebody, you are actually thinking about them right now and you're wrestling in your soul. I don't know if I can do that. Because he, he, he cheated on me. And, and this person abandoned me. And that person fired me unjustly. And that person that was my friend and my business partner. And then he walks away with all that money. Right? That's the real deal right there. That's, that's, that's the real deal. And, and if you could summarize Jesus' teaching, here's what you would say. Sinners, you repent. Victims, you forgive. That's how we handle conflict. Conflict 101. Sinners repent. Victims forgive. For Christians. You're like, I can't, I don't know if I can do that. Well, guess what? You're not alone. Because the disciples are thinking, he is out of his mind. And they don't say it. They may spiritualize it, but what they're thinking in their soul is, there's no way I can do that. Look what they say. Look how they respond. Verse 5. He says, increase our faith. That's a spiritual way of saying, God, I can't do that. And so if this is going to happen, you're going to actually have to do something special in me to make me do that, because I'm not going to do that. That's a, that's a fancy way of saying, I cannot do that, nor do I want to. So you're going to have to give me more faith to do that. Sounds real spiritual, doesn't it? I love Jesus' response, because we hear that. We're like, yes, Lord, increase our faith. Don't we, have you ever, ever been guilty of saying that? It's not necessarily a good thing because Jesus says this. He says, if you had faith in the grain of a mustard seed, you could, you could say to this mulberry tree, and that's a tree that has a real deep root system in that, in that play, uh, area of the world, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. So you don't need more faith. You don't need great faith. You just need a little faith. It's the object of your faith that matters. And if you had the object of your faith as me, that is a powerful thing, so powerful that you could do this miracle. So the, the, the point is this. You don't need more faith to do this. You just need to trust me that you can do this and you need to do it. That's what you need. You need to do and trust me for what I said to do. It's a powerful thing when our faith is in the omniscient, omnipotent, almighty God. Even when things don't make sense. It, it makes guys build boats that they've, when it's never rained it makes guys leave land that they've lived in their whole life and go across a desert to a land they've never been in before and really change the course of the world, the Hebrew nation, Abraham, by faith, by faith, by faith. Some of us just need to say, God, I don't understand how this might work, but I'm going to take a step of obedience. That's what you need, just a little bit of faith. And I know others are saying, well, I don't know, I don't know if this will work. What if it doesn't work? What does work mean? Does it mean that you guys are just going to hug it out and then get matching tattoos or something and get funny sweaters together? Is that what it works? So we got we to gotta understand what, what does work mean? Work is, is you doing what God has asked you to do. That's work, what it works. 
and, and whether it ends up all tidy and they repent and come back and you have sing kumbaya or not, that you have trusted God with your part and you're going to leave the results to him. Some of your families are estranged. And guess what? You can be loving and honoring and they may never come around. But what are you doing? You're modeling the gospel. That's what we're called to do. We trust God and we leave him the results. That's what some of you are called to do. It doesn't mean it's always going to be tidy. It may be tidy. It may not. But at least you can know that you trusted God and did what he called you to do. And the other, one of the other problems we would say, okay, well, I don't know if I can do that. Some of us say, I don't know if I want to do that. I know what Jesus is saying, and let's have a vote. I'm voting, eh, no, thank you. And so Jesus is going to deal with that too, because that's the reality. I know this is hard. I know some, we know that some of the things Jesus asks us to do are hard. So he's going to deal with it. Here's what he says. He says, well, any of you who has his servant plowing or keep sheep, say to him who's coming from the field, come at once and recline at the table. Will he not rather say, prepare supper for me, dress properly, and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what is our duty. This is a very un-Jesus-like story, if you understand what he's saying. Because he's basically saying that the master is not saying, well, thank you, well, thank you, well, please, well, please, to the servant. He's just telling him to do things, and he does it. Why? Because he is the master, and he is the servant. And he doesn't start here, but this is where he ends. He's pulling the authority card. Sometimes you do things because he's God, and you ain't. And he says, do it. And you say, okay. That, that's, that's the point. Right? And it's not, he's not saying that every one of us is just God's servants. No, in other places he says, I no longer call you servants, but I call you my brothers. But here he is teaching a principle that he is God. And sometimes we just do what we're told because that's what we're told to do, even if it's hard. And that's our duty. It's, it's kind of like on April 14th, some of you are going to hit on TurboTax, send, and you're going to send your tax returns to the IRS. If you are expecting a thank you letter from the IRS, thank you very much for paying your taxes. We appreciate your business. Thank you very much. You're not going to get it. Why? It is your duty to pay your taxes. They're not going to send you a thank you note and a Starbucks card. Sometimes we do what Jesus says to do because it's our duty. And it's not that he's not pleased. We have so much in the New Testament that says how he is pleased when we follow him and, and there's ways to be pleasing. But there's a point is you just do what you're supposed to do because you're supposed to do it. And Jesus is saying, I know it's hard, but sometimes you just got to do it because I'm God and there's a throne and I sit on it and you don't. We don't like that as Americans, I know. But this is God. But remember, this is not a God who does not understand who we are. This is a God who became a servant, who emptied himself, who took the form of a man, who, who, who served us, who died for us. He knows what it's like to be wronged, to be sinned against. He knows all that. And now he's just saying, it's your turn. It's your turn. He knows what it's like to be, to be accused falsely. Everyone's saying all these false things about him when he's on the cross and when he's trial. He said this, and he said that, and he did this, and he did that. And what does he say? He says nothing except for, Father, forgive them. Now he says, I've given you my spirit. You can do that too. Just a little faith. Just a little faith. Right? 
That's what he's called us to do. And then, and here's what's interesting. And we don't have a ton of time to look at it. But then he tells, uh, Luke arranges his material under the inspiration of the Spirit. It's so, it's so awesome to just kind of see you and you step back. Because he tells this story. And you've, if you grew up in a church, you know it. If you don't, I'll read it real quick. But it's about 10 lepers. And we've talked about leprosy and how that was seen, seen as sin and unclean. And these lepers had to live separate. But look at verse 11. He was on the way to Jerusalem. He was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance because they can't get close, right? Because it's contagious and it's, and it's a death sentence for them. And they lifted up their voice saying, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. So they're yelling across, hey, Jesus, please heal us. And when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourself to the priests. Now understand when you were cleansed of leprosy, that was what you did. You went and showed the priest, that, look, and they, the priests were like the doctor. They would inspect and say, yep, he's clean. He's good. And he, and you'd have to have some sacrifices and do all these things, but you were declared clean. So they weren't healed right on the spot. Jesus did that before he healed people. He touched them, right? He says, go, go walk to the temple and, and go, go show yourself. So the implication is they were going to be healed. So he's testing their faith. He's testing their obedience. And so they take off. And as they went, they were cleansed, right? And so at some point, they're like, Joe, your ear, it's back on. You don't have a hole in your face. Oh, my gracious. Look at it. And they're, and they're all excited, right? At some point, we don't know what point. But one of them, when he saw he was healed, he turned around. He turns back, praising God with a loud voice. He's yelling the whole way. And he falls on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. And now he highlights he was a Samaritan. Remember, hatred. Jews and Samaritans. What's interesting to me, though, why, by the way, Jews and Samaritans would never hang out. They would never associate, except when they are both under a death sentence of leprosy. Then they're all buddies. Right? They're all one then. Isn't that interesting? That's how the church should be, by the way. We're all, we were all under a death sentence. So there's no Jew and Greek and Gentile and white and black and male and female. We're all one. That's how it should be. And they were. But this Samaritan runs back and Jesus says, we're not 10 cleansed? Didn't you have 10 buddies? Where are the rest? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God? Understand, these nine other guys, they believed God. They had faith. They obeyed. But they weren't thankful. And he said to this guy, rise, you're, go your way. Your faith has made you well. He's already well physically. He is now well spiritually. His gratitude has shown that he is a follower and a worshiper of Jesus. It's not just his, I went and I followed and I went up to the road and I obeyed. Everyone can keep the rules, the heart. And I think the point here is this, is that yes, sometimes we do things as a duty, but Jesus wants them to be our delight. He wants us to be motivated by the fact that you were a leper headed for death and he cleansed you and made you one and whole. He, you were a servant. He has made you a brother. And now that is out of the outflow of what, what Jesus has done for us. We serve. And it's a delight now to be able to give forgiveness because I have been forgiven much. And those who have been forgiven much love much. Those who have been forgiven little love little. I love First John. John says that this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Isn't that a great? It, yeah, sometimes it's challenging. But in the end, we, we can delight in the fact that we have honored God, and he delights in us when we do so. That's the motivation he's looking for. That's why we deal with conflict biblically, and we don't just quit and leave a church or leave a community group or leave a whatever not talk to that group anymore. 
we got, we got to deal with it as Christians because Jesus came when we were alienated and he made peace through his blood on the cross. Now, blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be called sons and daughters of God. That's who we are, y'all. That's what we're called to be. And it starts looking in. Deal with my junk. Make sure I'm not making anyone else stumble. Then once I got that log out of my eye, then I can go to my brother and say, hey, buddy, let's walk together towards that cross. And when he messes up and falls, you just pick him up and say, hey, you're going to pick me up when I fall too. See, this is how we have oneness in our marriages. This is how we have oneness in our church, oneness in our office. It comes down to the gospel. That's a challenge. It's not easy. It's who we're called to be sons and daughters of God, right? Serving with gratitude, serving with delight. So let's worship and, and show God just a little bit together of our gratitude as we worship through singing. And then we'll go and let the rubber meet the road. Let me pray, and these guys will come up and lead us. Father God, I pray uh, for our time of singing and just reflection of, of the Word of God. I pray for someone in this room that is not fighting temptation right now. They're giving in to temptation. They're not fighting. I ask that you would give them strength and even conviction this morning to move towards that. I pray for someone who has not released someone, that there is bitterness and angeriness in their soul, that today that that healing would start. Lord, let us just always be people that are humble, that seek to deal with our own stuff first and then before uh, go to our brothers. But Lord, we want to be a, a, a church that pursues holiness together, that pursues you together, that does life together well. And so just help us to do that for the sake of the gospel and for your name's sake, I pray.